There it is, technology. All right, so this morning we're going to start uh, a sermon series. It's a little strange to do it this way. It was originally supposed to be three weeks in a row, but we're going to start today, and then we're going to take a month off, and then we're going to have two in a row. Uh, so we've got Al next week, and then finishing up 2 Corinthians. Um, so happens that way sometimes. No big deal. But uh, I didn't come up with this series. I, I saw a friend of mine doing it. I, I'm sure you might have been a church of a uh, part of a church that's done a series like this before, but, but the series is entitled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. There's a lot of uh, sayings, wisdom that, that people uh, have for us, and they speak it like it's right out of the scriptures, and it's not. The, the reality is that some of these sayings are man's wisdom that is probably based in some kind of scripture that over time has gotten uh, spoken wrongly or, or the idea behind it was used and it kind of, it's like playing telephone, you know, sometimes it just changes over time. Uh, so, uh, you know, we want to look at a couple of these, one today and then two in a couple of weeks, uh, and, and just kind of talk about where they came from and, and what the Bible actually says instead of this saying. Uh, and and the, the passage today, we're going to be out of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, while you're turning there, uh, a, a s- s- illustration to kind of uh, explain a little bit of this point here. When I was 16, maybe 17, we had this uh, 84 Honda Accord. Uh, it was a great car, but at some point it started to, to go away. And then my brother, he was driving it, and I, we were both had this car that we were kind of sharing. Uh, and at one point, my grandpa was selling cars. And uh, he, he brought to our house this, this Tweety Bird yellow Mustang GT, right? And, and, you know, my parents were very generous. They were like, you know, we'll give you about this much. You have to pay the, the rest of it. And then, you know, of course, then we start talking about insurance. It's going to cost this much. And they were kind of like, eh, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. I can work, you know, like 40 hours a week plus high school. You know, I can do it. I can pay it. And my parents kind of said, you know what, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll, we'll, let's, let's sleep on it and decide tomorrow. And... Uh, in their loving sovereignty, uh, decided no 17-year-old should have a 460-horsepower vehicle, ever. Um, so, why do I say that? Well, today, we're going to address something that the Bible does not say, and it's kind of the big, the big one, right? And it's that God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. People say this all the time. You might have said it. Uh, you might have been told such a thing by someone trying to encourage you in, in a hard time. And it, it does sound great, right? If you're, hey, you're going to get through this. You're going to make it. God won't give you more than you can handle. And it sounds biblical because they put God in it, right? I mean, that makes it sound somewhat biblical. Uh, and, and so if you've ever used this saying or, or been told this saying, we're not here to judge this morning. We want to be a biblically literate church. And so we want to know what does the Bible actually say and uh, not what it doesn't say. Because that's, that's where true encouragement would come from. Okay, so uh, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest, right? This is the take, take my yoke upon you. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus wants to alleviate our suffering, right? This is, this is one of the things that leads to this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. Look, Jesus even said, like, he wants to make your load lighter, right? It's all these things that kind of lead to uh, us being told wrong things or using the scripture 
uh, in its wrong form. So this passage that we're going to study this morning is actually really near and dear to my heart uh, as, a, as a biblical counselor, as a pastor, um, because it's really important. I think all of us should know this passage well, uh, and memorize it, use it, uh, live in it a little bit, because part of what we deal with every day uh, involves this passage. So we're going to start 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to start in verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he, that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide you the way of escape that you might endure it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that it is to have access to your word and to sit together and, and read it and talk about it, and Lord willing, that we would apply it to our life. And so I, I just ask that you would guide us this morning, that you would speak uh, to, to your people, myself included. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so one of the b- rules of biblical interpretation and, uh, is, if you see a therefore, what do you ask? What's the therefore therefore? There right. So this passage is, is set in the context of Paul speaking about idolatry. He just finished talking about uh, the newly formed nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, receiving the law in the desert, uh, but God not being pleased with that generation because they turned to idols. He says the Israelites were literally following God with their bodies, but not with their hearts. Their hearts wandered, and instead of trusting God moving forward, they, they moved backwards. They reverted to idol worship. It says in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So Paul's word here, uh, words here are dealing with a specific thing in this passage, and that is temptation. Temptation, specifically temptation to have our hearts wander into idol worship. And this is why he says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. He says this great nation was, we're, we're literally following God and a cloud by day and a, a fire by night. And we're drinking from the spiritual rock, like literally water out of rocks, but also the spiritual rock that is Christ. The, but they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, most of us here would, would say, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm not really prone to idol worship. Uh, and in a certain sense, you're probably right. You know, we, we don't have the, the Buddha in the kitchen that we're, we're you know, burning incense before we start our deal or, or day or start our meal. I know some of us tow the line with essential oils, but that's a different, <laughs> ourselves included. Um, but an idol is anything we place on the throne of our hearts rather than God. Anything that we, we are worshipers at our very core. Okay, so we're worshipers at our very core. And this is a, a figurative uh, throne on our hearts, and we are driven and motivated by whatever is sitting on that throne. Okay, and when, when it's anything other than God, we're worshiping idols, right? And so think about this logically. If, if it's your work, right, if, you're, if your idol is your work, then, then family, spouse, kids, all those things are trying to fit into the work bubble. And the first thing that goes when it, it, when it, when it can't fit are, are the, the relationship with your spouse, the relationship with your kids, you know, the relationship with your friends, your accountability, all those things. If you're driven by work, those things are pushed to the side. And if you can fit them in there, you will, and if you can't, so be it. If it's our kids, we allow them to essentially be the authority uh, by which we're guided. They tell us what to do, 
right? And then we may say, no, we don't. But you know what? We take them to every possible sporting event or play or recital that we can possibly get to, and even if it's at the detriment of our home life or marriage, right? And I'm not saying it's bad. I've played sports all my life. I, you know, we, we all are a part of school activities, and those are good things, but they need to be set in the right place. Good things can be turned into God things quickly. Okay, for single people, it might be the idea of getting married, having a spouse, having kids, so much so that you're willing to compromise your moral and, and spiritual integrity just to obtain a spouse, which leads to a lifetime of hurt and challenges. We have to take heed lest we fall. We need to watch out because we're all susceptible to these things. So then Paul takes this idea a step further and says, no temptation has overcome, overtaken you. That's not common to man. Dictionary defines temptation as a desire, a desire to do something especially wrong or unwise. This is very telling because temptation starts with a desire. We're talking about being lured and enticed by a desire to do something bad or in biblical language, sin, right? We're being enticed to sin. We're being tempted to sin. But Paul says, listen, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that you're being tempted by uh, right now that's not new or that someone else has, or that is new or that someone else hasn't been tempted by before, right? There's nothing new by which you're being tempted by, whether it's idolatry or anything else. So let's stop uh, and think about this. This should actually be surprisingly good news, right? It, it does reveal that we all struggle. We're all tempted. We're all led to uh, t- be tempted, but we're not in the fight alone, right? There's nothing that you're going through uh, that is too much for someone else to handle with you, right? There's nothing that you're going through in your struggle that someone either hasn't actually gone through or, or at its base form been, been associated with or just can handle it because they're trusting the God of the scriptures, Okay, so there's that. But, but because temptation to sin is so common, don't assume that your brother or sister is not struggling in many of the same ways that you are. Right? We, we show up. We say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Or, you know, one of my favorite questions is, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. Well, I'm just all right. And that always gets them, right? Like, uh, what? Uh, you know, like we want to be people that work and walk and, and, and help people in the, the idea we're being tempted. We're worshipers and we're prone to worship idols. And so here's where people get the idea for the, the worldly advice that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's the next passage. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The core difference here, and I'll talk more about this later, is that the biblical passage is dealing with temptation and not suffering, okay? But, but one can see how if skewed, right, that that can, that can, again, the telephone game, it can be changed into something, and then people start using it, and it sounds good, and then other people use it, and then, you know, it just, it can go south quickly. So nothing we're being tempted by, tempted with, is new or different than what is not common to man. But now Paul says, brother, don't forget, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to those who he loves, and he's fighting with you and for you. And since this is the case, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to say no. Now, I'm going to try and lovingly communicate a hard truth this morning. Uh, You always have the ability to say no to sin. You always have the ability to say no to sin. If you're sitting in here and and can comprehend right and wrong and and trespass against God and understand that, you have the ability to say no 
to sin. No one makes you do anything. There is no temptation that is coming upon you now or in the future which you cannot say no to. When you stand before the Lord one day, we'll be, you'll never be able to say, God, I tried to resist that temptation, but I just couldn't say no. It was impossible. When we give in to temptation, it is because we have chosen to. Okay, James 1 tells us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'm not saying it's not harder to say no to some temptations than others. But the Bible says God's faithfulness does not allow us to be tempted to the point at which it is impossible for us to say no. We do what we do because we want to. And we get mad at our spouse or, or, or are unfaithful at something that we look at or something we shouldn't, you know, maybe spend money on or, or something, you know, we shouldn't do. It's because we wanted to. It's not because we are tempted beyond our ability to say no. God wouldn't allow for that. Why? Because he is faithful. And this is not what you're going to hear from the world. Right? This is not what you're going to hear what the world says. They're going to try and explain it away, explain away sinful behavior. Right through things like mental illness or being born a certain way or some other excuse that the Bible pretty clearly refutes. What do we, we do what we do because we want to or what I like to say is we do what we do because we want what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want, period. So Paul continues and says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Paul is saying, look, God knows how much you can take and allows temptation to come your way for whatever reason and whatever purpose uh, he chooses. But even though he allows the temptation because he is faithful, he will also provide a way of escape that you can endure it. This Greek word here for, for way of escape, it means an egress or a way out or off. Um, and, and later Greek, it kind of, they used it as a term meaning like a landing spot for a boat where, where people could disembark. Uh, so, so really two things are happening here. Two things are happening here. First, Paul's general rule for battling temptation. Do you know what it is? Run away. Run away. It's like Monty Python. Run away, run away. You know, like Paul says, run. Don't challenge Satan to a duel. That is foolishness. Flee, run. Don't walk up to the line. Turn and run in the opposite direction of the line. Earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul tells us here is to flee sexual immorality. Right at the end of this passage in 14, he says, flee idolatry. Paul is not one to stick around and show off how spiritually tough he is. His MO is generally, hey, live to fight another day as regards to sin and temptation. Right? We just finished spending multiple weeks in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about boasting in his weakness. He's weak. We're weak. We're all weak and shouldn't toy with sin. We should seek to run away and escape if possible. The second thing Paul is saying here is that sometimes the only way to battle temptation is to endure it. But don't worry, because God, who's faithful and, and friends, who does not want to see you fail, he does not want you to, to see you fail, will give you a landing place from which to endure the temptation. In some certain circumstances, we are confronted with the reality that we will have to endure, that we will have to be confronted with the temptation and endure it. But it's okay. Why? Because one, we know God won't let us be tempted 
beyond our ability, beyond what we're able to say no to. And two, God has given us a place, a refuge from which to endure, from which we can stand. James 1 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or endures under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The word under trial here means to make proof of, to test, or to tempt. Sometimes we're confronted with the reality that we will have to endure temptation, but two promises that can help us rest and to endure is one, God is faithful and is with us in the trial, and two, we will receive a blessing if we endure. Okay, so that's the biblical text that, what does the Bible actually say? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. So I want to take a minute to kind of compare and contrast what the the biblical text and and what the Bible doesn't say uh, in in a way that I hope will actually help us uh, be better prepared to to help one another and help those outside of the walls of hope. Uh, The non-biblical saying says God won't give you more than you can handle. It deals with suffering in general, right? Not temptation. But the reality with suffering, though, biblically speaking, is actually God will allow more suffering into your life than you can handle. God will allow it. How do we know that? People die. People die. We, we can handle this sickness or we can handle this. No, people die. Paul himself said way back in 2 Corinthians 1, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, we there are definitely things in our life that are given to us by God, allowed into our lives by God that we cannot handle on our own. All right? There is an enormous amount of suffering in this world, so much so that it could make a person question God's presence in our world. Right? There's an enormous amount of suffering. Or like Paul, it could drive us to the reality that death is creeping over this world, and our only refuge is the strength of God who raises the dead. This is what we must rely on, because otherwise... Let's face it, we're doomed. There's no hope. We can't handle it alone, and to think otherwise is really self-centered pride. So it's only a a temptation or idolatry. uh, It's also a temptation or idolatry that this actual biblical passage is talking about, right? So, So a temptation to idolatry. It's talking about our power, our power to endure versus God's power to sustain us. Okay, so it's not this passage that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's all about you being able to handle things, right? God's faithfulness is clear in the actual biblical text. Another thing about this man's wisdom, it can lead to a, a, an enormous amount of guilt in the life of a believer, right? Because when confronted with suffering, we often feel like we can't handle it, right? How many of you have ever felt like you're going through something and just feel like you cannot handle it, right? And this leads to guilt and possible theological confusion. If God won't give me more than I can handle, why can't I handle this, right? Why can't I handle this? Or maybe it makes us doubt. Maybe God isn't as faithful to us in trials. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. Secondly, the biblical passage speaks to God's faithfulness in the fight itself. There's a subtle difference in, in between the biblical text and the worldly wisdom but it speaks volumes, right? In the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, God is essentially a gatekeeper. 
right? Distant, potentially harsh, and not intimately active in the life of a believer. If you just take the statement at face value now, now everyone knows the inferred, no, it's because he loves you, right? But that's not what it's saying. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's about you. In the biblical text, there is this idea of God's allowance of temptation into a person's life, along with his knowledge of what they can and can't handle. However, there's an additional aspect that is his faithfulness in the fight and in in is, is our help in our time of need. Now, this is what the psalmist is saying in, in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Right? God is with us in the fight with temptation. He's providing us a way to endure or escape it. And really, because it's temptation versus uh, suffering, in some ways, comparing the two sayings, the, the biblical text and the non-biblical text, is, is like comparing apples and oranges. They're different. They're not talking about the same thing at all. Our biblical text, which is the one that we really want to focus on, can be of, of great help. It points us to God and, and his strength and his ability to care for those that he loves. The worldly wisdom sounds great, but when we really break it down, it removes God from our lives personally, and it can cause us to rely on ourselves. It's about how much we can endure. It also seems great until it's not true, until we encounter something that we cannot handle as it pertains to suffering. The biggest problem with the saying that God won't give us more to handle is actually the gospel, right? The, the biggest problem with that saying is the gospel itself. Why? Because we cannot handle our separation from God, right? We have a sin problem that we cannot take care of. There's nothing that we can do to be made one with Christ, to be forgiven of our sins. We must rely fully on his grace to us. And that is only obtainable because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, our biggest problem, we cannot handle, and God has allowed it. But, praise God, right, for making a way for us by faith through Christ so that our sins can be atoned for, so that our eternity can be set and victory over suffering and death can be secured. Right? And if that wasn't great news enough, it leads us to our actual biblical text. The gospel is rooted in God's faithfulness to an unfaithful, idolatrous people. But because of Christ and his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, we will not be tempted beyond what we can endure. But when the temptation comes, God, who is faithful and has proven himself to be so because of the cross, will provide us a way of escape that we can endure it. Right? God's faithful. How do we know? The cross. Life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is faithful so that we can endure. And so as we move uh, towards the Lord's Supper, two things. Two things I want us to think about. One, maybe you've, you've never realized that your biggest problem is a sin problem. Maybe you, you need to repent, to change your thinking about your sin and, and follow Christ and trust in him and his strength and atoning for your sin and saving you. Maybe you've never done that. That is what we have to deal with first. Most of us, however, are probably leaning too much on our own strength, right? To, to overcome temptation especially. Even the temptation to overcome suffering is a temptation, and during this time of, of remembrance, I want us to pray and, and, and to repent and take the juice and the bread and, 
and let's seek to, to help uh, our, our, or seek to remember what it is to overcome sin by God's faithfulness and, and, and remember Christ and his faithfulness to us so that, yes, we can have victory over sin and death and endure in the temptation and the trials, right? So as, as uh, the, the servers come forward, I just want to take the bread and the juice and we'll take it together um, in a minute. So let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to, to be faithful to us, to be faithful to us in, in our temptation and our trials, to give us a, a way of escape that we can endure. You know, when Christ says, you know, be holy as I am holy, uh, we can do it. And we can, we can uh, not sin. We can, we can avoid the, the temptation to sin and that we can endure, not because of our strength, because of your faithfulness. And so, Father, I pray that during this time we would remember that and we would uh, just grow in our affection for you because of it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.